Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, we're bringing a close to our study in 2 Timothy. And it's been a great study. It's personally challenging. And we always want to take God's Word and apply it to our lives. And and I hope that's what you've been doing. Um, I do want to tell you about something because it's just so cool when God does stuff like this. Um, Last year... Ronald and I went to Baku, uh, Azerbaijan, where we worked, uh, we were part of a training for the whole year, uh, four times a year for former Muslims who had become believers who are now church planters. And so I had the privilege of going and teaching the part about how to prepare sermons, how to be a pastor and, and, and uh, how to disciple people. And it was just a great, great time. And, and while I was there, uh, Ronald and I were invited to come and meet the minister of ministries, uh, or I'm sorry, the minister of religion for the country. So he pretty much oversaw everything that happens. Now remember, this is a Muslim country. It's a Muslim government. And so he wanted to meet with us, and so we did. And it was kind of a formal greeting. We were sitting at this big conference table across from each other using interpreters. And uh, then at the end, he said, uh, was there anything I can do for you? And I thought, yeah, uh, actually there is. Uh, My friend Idris here um, that you know, I would would love it if you would uh, recognize his church and register his church officially with the government. And we were kind of expecting a rejection, and he looked at me, he said, Sure, well, I can do that. And so it took about six months and that, of that process because a lot of paperwork, a lot of hoops to jump through. And finally, the, the government recognized Idris as like the church planner for the country. And he, he's just very, I mean, he's built a great relationship with, the, with the, that department. Uh, Tag and I were there uh, just a f- few weeks ago, uh, teaching the same seminar. And while we were there, Idris was called to the government office. And when he came back, and I said, well, what did they want? And he said, they just wanted to know if there was anything they could do for me. I'm sitting there, wow, you know, you're a Christian, and you're in a Muslim country, Muslim government. Now get this. After we got back here, we found out that on December the 22nd, First time in the history of this country, they have given permission to have a public Christian Christmas worship service. That's huge. Oh my goodness. And I mean, that's a praise God. And you've been a part of that through your giving to our missions efforts and, and have been a support of that. And then allowing Ronald and Tag and myself to go and teach there. Um, but this is amazing. This is huge to have a public. And it's going to be in a public forum. I mean, they're, they're inviting. Idris is so bold. They're, they're invited the president and his family from Azerbaijan. They've invited ambassadors from different countries that are all there. I mean, it's amazing how, how they're doing this. And it's so thrilling. And, and um, so then they asked if, if um, 
uh, I could come over there. So I started working on a schedule just to see if it could work, and there were just no flights. It just it wasn't going to happen. And so uh, the office here called, the uh, crossover office called and, and said, you know, we're not going to be able to come. There are no flights. And Idris started laughing, and, and, and uh, my friend Ken said, you don't understand. We're, we can't come. And he said, well, you don't understand. You know, we were, we were praying, and I felt led just to call, and I've already got your tickets and uh, I said, wow, <laughs> to go and be a part and participate in such a historical event, that's amazing. So I'm going to fly out on Saturday morning, December the 21st, arrive there Sunday morning at 7 in the morning, be at the event at 1 o'clock and give a greeting from Gateway at the event, and then fly out 7 o'clock Monday morning to be back in this country at 9 It'll actually be 9 o'clock in the morning when I get back here because it's the nine-hour difference. And uh, so it, it's a privilege to be able to go and be a part of that. I'll be back for the Christmas Eve service. I might talk in gibberish, and you're going to think I've taken up speaking in tongues. But... Uh, I'll, you know, I, I just, I'm so thrilled to be a part, just to be there and to watch this and, and to know that this is, this is just a God thing. And uh, you need to keep praying because things can change just like that. You know, they could all of a sudden just shut everything down. They could all of a sudden just say, nope, you cannot do anything else. And so while the doors are open, we have to take full advantage of that. And that's why we're doing home churches, uh, because if the door is closed, the home churches can keep going. So it's, it's thrilling to see how God is making this huge push into the Muslim world for the cause of Jesus. So pray for that, pray for that event. Pray for Idris. Remember Idris? He's the leader. Pray for him by name. And uh, just he's been here at Gateway several times and has spoken at Gateway, so you've met him. And so uh, you can always tell who he is because he's always happy. And he's always laughing. And uh, he, just, he just loves Jesus. So do pray for that. And I, I do appreciate it. So we're in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the last chapter of this letter from Paul to Timothy. And Paul is summoning Timothy into the majestic presence, the glorious presence of God the Father. And he's reminding him of Christ's role as judge. And so Paul is preparing Timothy and shouldering the ministry as Paul is going to be leaving. He's going to be executed. And so Paul is realizing that that he has gotten to the end of the race that he's been running for the cause of Christ. And, and so when I read all of this, I'm reminded that uh, what we're about to read, it applies to pastors, it applies to people who teach a small group, a life group, it applies to the people who work with our children and our youth, it applies to the people that work in our men's ministry and our, and our ladies' ministry, it applies to those of you who are parents and have kids or grandkids. It applies to every believer in reality. So we're going to learn some very key things today out of this passage. So 
what Paul begins with in this chapter, uh, he, he's talking about a, a, um, a, that where Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. So before we get into that, let's go to 1 Thessalonians and get a picture of what's going to happen and kind of set the stage. In 1 Thessalonians, it says, we tell you this directly from the Lord, we who are still living when the Lord returns, will not meet him ahead of those who have died. So believers who have died and believers who are still alive when Jesus returns. He said, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So it's, it's kind of like the, non, the believers who have already died, they'll be raised from the dead. They'll go to start meeting Jesus in the sky. And you and I, if we're still alive when Jesus returns, we bring up the caboose, but we're still part of that train. So we're, we're all going to meet Jesus in the sky. And I think this kingdom that he's talking about here, uh, as we get into 2 Timothy, is, is Jesus' millennial kingdom. So let's begin in 2 Timothy 4. He says, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom." So the millennial kingdom. This is going to happen. Just as Jesus literally came the first time and fulfilled all prophecy, all the prophecy about his second coming is going to literally happen. So he is going to come a second time. And so Christ ultimately is going to judge all people in three distinctive settings. I think Paul is referring to all three collectively, but it's good to understand these three different judgments. The first one is the judgment of believers. This is after the rapture. Every believer will stand before Jesus and he'll be our judge, not as to whether we go to heaven or not, but let's read what it says in 1 Corinthians 3. When we stand before Jesus as a believer after the second coming, it says anyone who's built on that foundation, the foundation of Jesus, may use a variety of materials. So you, you became a believer. Jesus is your foundation. Now you be, build your life and you have the choice of two different kinds of material, gold, silver, and jewels, things that last forever of great value, or wood, hay, and straw, things that don't last and are easily destroyed. But on the judgment day, this is just for believers, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. Now this is not a flame that comes from flicking your bick, but rather this is God's holy fire, God's testing fire, and he's gonna test everything that you have done with your life, how you have built your life as a believer. He said, if the work survives, the builder will receive a reward. <clears throat> but if the work is burned up, 
the builder will suffer great loss. The builder, the builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Now, this sounds a little disheartening. And does that mean I'm going to suffer loss in heaven? I don't think that's what it's saying as such. But he's talking about, I think he's talking about those individuals who become believers and they say to themselves, okay, I've got my fire insurance. I'm, I get to go to heaven. Now I'm just going to do whatever I want to. I'm going to live my life for me. It's all about me. And I'm going to do what I want to. And I think what happens when we stand before Jesus and he takes everything that you've done and he tests that when there's nothing left, the great loss is the realization that you wasted your life. That's the loss. You have absolutely wasted this precious thing called life that God has given you. So you accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now you have the opportunity to live for him and do what his purpose is for your life. But you can choose to say no. And you can choose to waste your life. And the Bible says you're going to come to a realization when you stand before Jesus of how big of a waste it is. He calls it a great loss. The loss of your potential the loss of the ministry God had ordained for you that you did not do, the things, the lives that he wanted you to influence that you did not influence, the people that he wanted to uh, bring into the kingdom through your testimony that you did not share with. That's a great loss. So that's a serious judgment, wouldn't you say? That every believer is going to go through. And I want to stand before Jesus with gold, silver, and precious stones. But I have to admit, I got a lot of wood, hay, and straw in my life, too. I got a lot of, there were a lot of times I lived for me. I did what I wanted to do. I did what was convenient for me. And that stuff's going to get burned up. So... Whatever's happened in the past, if you're a believer, don't, don't live time, don't spend time regretting that. It's done. But rather be motivated from here forth. You're going to do different. If you're still alive, which you are, you have the opportunity to redeem the time. You have the opportunity to say, you know what? I've wasted a lot. But from here forth, from this time forth, I want to live for the purposes God has for me. I want to make a difference. I want to fulfill, I want to finish the journey. I want to fulfill the plan and purposes that God laid down for me. So that's a serious judgment. The second judgment, which believers will be a part of, as, long, as well as non-believers. So this is absolutely all of humanity. The second judgment is all of humanity. And it's when the sheep and the goats are judged uh, of the nations. So in Matthew 25, which these are the words of Jesus, he says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him. Now that's a boatload of angels. 
I mean, legions upon legions of angels. Then he will sit upon his glorious throne. And all the nations, now I think personally he's talking about people groups. So I don't know how that's going to, what that looks like. But he's going to gather all the people in, and they're going to gather in his presence. And then he, his angels will separate the people as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. Sheep, he says, will be placed on his right hand, which that's a place of honor. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father even today. So that's a place of honor. The goats will be put on his left. They're separated out for judgment. The sheep are brought into his kingdom. The goats are cast away from his kingdom. So that's the second judgment. The first one is just for believers. The second ones are both believers and non-believers. And praise God, you've made the decision to be a sheep and not a goat. Then there's a third judgment. And this is the most frightening one of all. And thank Jesus, if you're a believer, you're not a part of this. This is just for those who rejected Jesus. And that's the great white throne of judgment. We go to Revelation chapter 20. He says, And I saw a great white throne, and the one sitting on it, which is Jesus, and the earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small, popular and unpopular, famous and not famous, the wealthy and the poor, the powerful and the nobody cared who they were. I saw them all standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. And let me, I want to go ahead and tell you, God, he ain't missed nothing. He's got it all down. There's not one thought, one action that has not been recorded. His judgment is, is just and it's right. The sea gave up its dead and, the, and death and the grave gave up their dead. And all were judged according to their deeds. And the biggest judgment was for the fact that they rejected Jesus. Now all this is yet to happen. These three judgments haven't happened yet. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. I want to, you ought to praise Jesus every day that you, you won't have to ever taste that lake. You'll never have to go swimming in that fire. Because it's a fire that never ends. It burns but does not consume. It's eternal. And even though they're being tormented by paying the price for their sin for all eternity, they're also on their knees praising Jesus as Lord. 
Sadly, they cannot praise Jesus as their Savior because they rejected him. So these are the three judgments. You're a part of two of them. And if you're not a believer, you're a part of two of them. And the last one should be enough motivation to make a decision of, I don't want to be in that crowd. Now, back to 2 Timothy. Paul says, preach the word of God. Well, you can easily say, well, I'm not called to preach God's word. Well, wait a minute, let's think about that. Every believer is called to know God's word and to share God's word. So in a way, yeah, you're to preach God's word with your life, the way you live, that you let God's word direct your life and set the priorities of your life and set the uh, principles and purposes of your life and also to set the, the integrity of your life. But you're also to share the word of God. So you live it and you share it. And so just the way you live is preaching the word. The way you live preaches the word. It says, preach the word. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not, whether it's convenient or not. Be prepared to share the word, to teach the word, to preach the word. Now he tells Paul to do, uh, Timothy to do three things. Patiently correct rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. So you've, you've got to be faithful to the word when it's popular and when it's not. When it's convenient and when it's not. And I want to tell you right now, you and I live in an age where the Bible's not that popular. I mean, people are not able to attack God directly, so they attack his creation. And look at how close to creation they have sought to attack God. I mean, just creation itself. To, to be a person who's a creationist, that you believe the Bible literally in Genesis. Well, I saw a documentary and it was by a non-believer. And he did a, he started seeing a pattern of professors in the field of science who were creationist. And he began to see how they were ostracized and pushed out and minimized in their profession because they believed the Bible. And he went to one school after the other in this documentary, and he found time and time again that professors who held to creation as a thing of scripture, that they were minimized, if not fired. So even at that level, people are attacking God. The Bible's not very popular. And we're also in our society today, we're attacking God by attacking his creation of the identity of male and female. We're attacking God by attacking the identity of a marriage and what that looks like. So the world, you and I live in this world now that attacks 
the things of God, the most basic things of God, creation, the identity of male and female, the identity of marriage. So my question then is, who are your people? Well, this is part of your people. If you're in a small group, those are your people. Your family, that's your people. Your neighbors, they're your people. Where you work, they're your people. Wherever you are and have a place of influence, those are your people. So I'm to teach the Bible, which implies that I know it myself, so I need to be a student of the Word. You need to be a student of the Scripture, because you can't teach what you don't know. So then he tells us to do three things. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. Now, correction is correcting errors of thinking and acting. In other words, they may not know what they're doing is wrong. Like a child, when your child um, misbehaves and they don't really know, they don't understand, you know, you you don't punish irresponsibility. They just don't know. And and so you you correct them. You say, now, we don't do that in this home, and so don't do that anymore. This is what you do instead. And... But so correction is, is, is showing them the right thing to do and the way they need to live. And, and so you're correcting, you're dealing with them on the intellectual uh, basis. Then he uses the word rebuke. Well, that's a little stronger. That's dealing with people who may, they may do the right thing, but they do it for the wrong reason. So you're getting to motives. But it's also those who do the wrong thing and they know it. So you're dealing with conscience. And so he says, you've you got to rebuke those people. You know, if somebody who's your people and, and you see them doing the wrong thing and they willingly do it, you, you've got to rebuke it. You've got to confront that. And then he says, on a positive way, you, you encourage those who are doing well. That's the positive side of teaching. But then he has that one word at the very beginning of that sentence, which defines your attitude in this whole process. And he says, patiently. So you patiently correct and work with young believers or young children. You just are patient with them. You're patient when you have to rebuke. And then you find ways to encourage. You know, there's something about human nature that loves to point out the flaw. What if you became more intentional about pointing out the things that are right? I mean, encouraging someone, going up to them and saying, hey, that was awesome. You know, what you did, that was great. I saw what you did. I saw, you know, I saw this. I observed this. Man, I'm so proud of you. You know, celebrating them, that's encouraging. In verse 3, Paul gives a warning. And again, this is something that's already happened. He says, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Kind of like a child who goes to one parent, doesn't get the answer they like, and they go to the other parent, try to get a different answer. That time is actually here. 
People don't want to hear sound and wholesome teaching. They, they want to hear things that make them feel good. They want to hear the things they've already decided they wanted to hear. They, they want to believe something, so now they're going to try to find the evidence to prove. It's, it's like when somebody is looking for sound advice, and, but they've already made up their mind what they want to do, and they'll keep going from one person to the next until they actually find somebody who might agree with them. So then they might feel better about their bad decision. Verse 4 says, they will reject truth and chase after myths. You know, there's a couple of ways you can pack a church full of people. <clears throat> you can use programs, events. You can use messages that tickle the ears, make you feel good. Positive thinking, the power of positive thinking. You can do that. Or you can fall on your face before holy God. And beseech him and ask God's Holy Spirit to change lives. I opt for that second one. That's why there's a lot of things Gateway just doesn't do. Listeners turn away from hearing the truth of God's word. That's a result of spiritual wandering. And then secondly, they turn aside to myths. You know, this phrase of chase after or turn aside to, that's actually a medical term in the Greek. And it refers to when a, uh, a limb has been twisted out of joint. It's kind of like when your shoulders knock out of joint in a sporting event. That's what that's referring to is that when I reject the truth, then I actually start putting things out of joint in my life by chasing after myths, things that are not of God. That's a, anything not of God, that's a myth. Verse 5, he says, but you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news so he told him to practice the art, the gift of, of, the, of the evangelist. Even though Timothy didn't have that gift, he was still to do it, like every believer. Every believer is to tell others about Jesus and fully carry out the ministry God has given to you. <clears throat> you know, if you're a believer, God has given you a ministry. Do you know what it is? Have you even asked him? Because when you're in that first judgment that I've described, the gold, silver, and precious stones are the things you do to fulfill the ministry God has given to you. So I think that would motivate us to want to know what that is. When we don't know the truth, we'll fall for a lot of stuff. I remember when Mary and I first went to a church, I was the youth pastor, and uh, <clears throat> it was a large church, and we heard about this individual in the church. She was, everybody just talked about how she was a great, great Bible teacher, and everybody loved to go to her class, and uh, she taught the book of Revelation in such a profound way that people were mesmerized by her teaching. And, and so I thought, oh, I need to meet this person. And I kept hearing these positive things. And then Mary was talking with one of the 
uh, lady uh, in our youth ministry who worked with our youth, and she brought up this individual, and she started talking about, oh, yeah, she's a great Bible teacher. I've been in, through her class on Revelation, and she's also great at astrology. And Mary went, what? Oh, yeah, she's, she's an expert at that. I've actually gone to her and got a reading from the stars for my kids. And she does that for a lot of people in the church. Wow. Well, you know, I kind of stepped back from that. <clears throat> so I started investigating. I said, is this, is this true about this person? And people would say, oh, yeah, you know, if you don't believe in that, just don't pay any attention to that. I said, no, I, I have to pay attention to this. And I would hear, here's what I would hear. Yeah, we know that that's not right, but she's such a good teacher. And so many people like her, and if we deal with that, then people will get mad. People don't want you to remove the person that's scratching their itch. And so they easily fell for a myth that the stars determine your life. And because of that, they fell into a lot of other untruths. And it began to reveal itself. Again, Mary had another female teacher in our youth department uh, who was sitting, they were sitting there talking. We were there just a month. All this was happening in the first month. And and the, the lady looked at Mary and said, now you're not one of those Christians who really believe that Jesus is the only way to go to heaven, do you? Mary looked at her and said, well, of course I am. Aren't you? Oh, no. I mean, let's, you gotta, you gotta be modern on this. You know, there are lots of different ways. And Mary's sitting there, wait a minute, you're teaching our young ladies in this church and in your class you're telling them, now if you wanna go to heaven, there's Jesus, but there's some other stuff. There's some other ways. Yeah, that's right. Myths. Because nobody was standing up for truth. The myths happened. Hmm. And we're talking about a church that had a great reputation of being a Bible church. So speak the truth. Give correction patiently. Rebu rebuke when you have to patiently. And encourage as much as possible. And the reason Paul put that word patient there is I think he's talking about grace. You see, re rebuking without grace is not a good thing. Rebuking without some grace there that gives them an opportunity of redemption, it's not a good thing. It leads to bitterness. It just deals with a symptom, but not the root. So patience and grace when you correct, when you rebuke, and then always encourage. So my question to you then is, have you asked God what your ministry is? 
See, in a few more verses, we're not going to have time to go through. Paul says, you know, I'm pouring out my life, which was part of the Old Testament ritual that after all the, the burnt and grain offering happened, he, you know, there was a pouring out. And, and so that was at the end of the sacrifice system. And, and Paul was saying, I'm, I'm at the end of all the sacrifices I can do for God. Now I'm pouring out my life as, as the ultimate sacrifice and completing the race that he laid out for me crossing the finish line that he set before me, fulfilling and completing the ministry he gave to me, don't you want to be able to say that? God, I want to get across the finish line of the course that you laid out. But if you're too busy running your own course, you're going to cross the finish line, but you're going to find out you were in the wrong stadium. Ask God what your ministry is. Everything from yesterday and on back, forget it. It's done. Don't worry about it. Jesus is taking care of that when he died on the cross. But from this day forward, God, what is my ministry? Let me complete that race. Let's pray.